Hello, this is Michelle. Welcome back to Not Your Mana. And I have a sermon to share with you today that I preached probably about a month ago now. And it was about connecting with God. Our church was in the middle of a series about kind of our DNA as a church and what we value. And um, I got to talk about this. So here you go. And um, it starts jumping in right in with a prayer. So if you want to, you know, bow your head now so you're not caught off guard, you could do that. But if you're driving, please don't close your eyes. All right. Cheerio. Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge you in our midst this morning. We say yes to your presence this morning. God, would you lead us? Would you teach us? Would you draw us more deeply into you? In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hey, so uh, back before there was a pandemic, I, um, I got to go to Israel, and it was March of 2019 when we went, and um, it was really crazy, like it had it been a year later. The story would not exist. So um, when, I, when I went, I had a dear friend that went two weeks right before me, and I said, tell me your favorite part when she got home. Tell me your favorite part. She goes, oh, the flowers of the Galilee. And I was like, what? Like I thought, it, like how about like the temple map? Like I was thinking there might be some real, she goes, the flowers of the Galilee. And I thought that was an interesting thing to say. And I thought that until I got to the Galilee. And the second day we were there, we, we, were, on, we were in this bus and we parked in this parking lot and I'll explain it like you pulled into the Chautauqua parking lot, okay? And, you, and then there's this like little, we're gonna go on this little mini hike up this mountain. And so we get out of the bus and we go over there and we start wandering. And it like, if you've ever hit a Rocky Mountain meadow at just the right day, and it's like, just like, it was, I could not tell you what it was like. These flowers were so vibrant and so beautiful and they were everywhere. It's like, I would be like, oh, I should take a picture of that. Oh, I should take a picture of that. Like, it was like, everything was so beautiful and alive and it felt I don't know how else to describe it except that it felt like the ground itself was declaring the glory of God. Like if you read that verse in Romans where it says like the heavens declare the glory of God, like creation declares the glory of God. And at that moment, I was like, the wildflowers of the Galilee are declaring the glory of God. Like they can't help to be like, ah, Jesus was here. Like they were like, it, they just declare the glory. Like, you know, that scripture that says the rocks cry out. I think in the Galilee, the rocks cry out because they like declare the glory of the Lord. You're like, the pres- God was here. God is here. The Holy Spirit is dwelling there. And we walked up this hill and it's this like cliff that oversees the Sea of Galilee. Okay, and if you look down, there's this little path. And so Gene Binder, the pastor of Cornerstone, who was leading our trip, he was, he told us, he said, if you look over that way is Nazareth, and right here is Capernaum. And you see that little path that's still there? That's where Jesus would have walked from his hometown to Capernaum. He would have gone back and forth. And this is the beautiful Vista Mountain that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. He's like, this is the best view in all of the Galilee. And it's right above Capernaum where Jesus hung out all the time. Then he says, we don't know a lot of specifics about where Jesus was. We know that Jesus was right here because 
Jesus, we know how scripture always talks about how he pulled away to solitary places, to lonely places to go be with the Lord. Or he'd go up the mountain. Where do you think he went? I mean, he could have gone everywhere. It seems as though this would be the place where you go, if I'm going to go and I'm going to go sit, I'm going to be alone with the Father, I probably would have come and sit right here and looked out at the Galilee and looked out at the lake and prayed and connected with the Father. And so it just was this really holy place that reminds us of this is what it looked like for Jesus to come and seek the Father, to come and desire to be in his presence. That was something that was part of Jesus's DNA was that he wanted to connect with the Father. So that's why one of our our values is to connect. We want to connect with God. That was part of Jesus's DNA. It should be a part of our DNA, right? Okay, so let's, I want, I want to read you the scripture from Luke. Um, this is Luke 6, 12. And I just, this happens a lot through the gospels, but I just wanted to pull out a couple. So this says, one of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So the night before Jesus picks his 12 disciples, what does he do? He goes and spends the night in prayer on a mountain. He's going to, I got a decision to make. I'm going to go be with the Father, and I'm going to go listen, and I'm going to be quiet, and I'm going to spend the night in prayer. And then he makes a decision the next day. And he might have been on that mountain that I was on. I don't know. It doesn't say. But I wonder. What does it look like for Jesus to do that? And why does he do that? And what does it mean that he would be asking us to do that? Um, Okay, I want to take you guys through a story. I want to talk to you about the feeding of the 5,000. So you all know that story. I want to talk to you about the the kind of set the scene. I want to tell you some stuff that was happening around that story. So um, we're going to, we're going to land in Mark 6, but I want to take a quick, a quick detour just to set the stage. There's the same story is in Matthew and in Mark. And so if you want to have the full story someday, you can sit and just read it all. But out of, this is something we learn out of Matthew. Matthew 14, 12 says this, that, so John the Baptist was just beheaded by Herod. And so John's disciples came and took John's body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So that's, that's the setting in which we're headed towards the feeding of the 5,000, okay? But this is what happened that day. Jesus heard that his cousin, John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And he goes, I got to go. Why? Because when things are hard, Jesus runs to the Father. When he doesn't know what to do next, he runs to the Father. I think when something's happening and the Holy Spirit in him is churning, he goes, I got to run to the Father. That is, where, that is who Jesus was. That is the way that Jesus worked. Okay, let's pick the story up in Mark 6. 32. So basically the same verse. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. So when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. I love that. That when Jesus lands, he's like, 
He see, I mean, think of how the state of mind that Jesus is in. He's like, I got to get away. Let's get in a boat and go into the middle of nowhere. Okay. And then he gets there and all these people are there. And we know that eventually he, he ministers to them all day so long that then he's like, we need to figure out how to feed these people. And then he does a miracle and feeds them. 5,000 men, it says, plus women and children. So it's possible that 15,000 people had found themselves out in the middle of nowhere without their lunch, which people don't, in this time, they don't do that. You don't go anywhere without your lunch. These people know how to do this, and they didn't do it that way that day. But this is, I want you just to hear this verse. Oh, throwing a pen. Okay. Um, Many... But many saw them leaving in the boat, recognized them, and ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. Do you ca- so it's like they're sitting on the side. Like I, I brought a picture of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a big lake, okay? And so here they are on one side, probably near Capernaumish, and they're going to go onto the other side where there's nothing. And it's like the people are like, hey, hey, hey Jesus is getting in the boat. Where do you think he's going? Oh, look, they're sailing away. Anybody got a boat? Anybody, can we go with them? Anybody got, no boats. Let's run. And then they just like start running around this lake. And it says from all of the town. So they like left this town. They ran. They got to another town. Everyone's like, what are you doing? We're going to see Jesus. Like, wait, think he's headed that way. Oh, then they just start, and not with their lunches. They're just like, these people are losing their minds. They're like, we gotta go. Like, Jesus, he's headed that way. Let's all go. 15,000 people ran into the middle of nowhere. Why? This doesn't make any sense. Except that Jesus is the most magnetic, most attractive man to ever walk the face of the planet. These people were like, wherever he is, that is where I have got to be. I have got to be with that man. There was something about him that drew them in a way that these people lost their minds. This is ridiculous. But that's the kind of guy that Jesus was. We we learn from Scripture that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Now we've got these people who look Jesus in the face, and this is how they felt about him, that they were like, I would go anywhere. I would do anything anything to be with him. Do you feel that way about him? Is he that attractive to you? If he is not, I dare say you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you would feel this way about him. He is so magnetic. He is so attractive. He is everything we want When God came to earth, he was everything that we want. And you know in Isaiah, it says that there was nothing about him, about his appearance that would draw us to him. Like there was nothing about him that was flashy. How would you like someone to write a book about you and be like, there was nothing attractive about him? Like he was really so not good looking. Like that's what Isaiah said. There was nothing about him. It was him. It was who he was that was this magnetic, that was this attractive. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. Is this the God you know? Is this how you feel about him? 
Because if that's what he's like, we would lose our minds to connect with him, to be with him. I don't want to like have a quiet time every morning because I should. I want to have a quiet time every morning because I'm starving, because he is my favorite thing. And I just want to be with him, that I can't breathe without him. I can't do this without him. Do you know him like that? Do you want to know him like that? If you go, I do not feel that way about him, then just go, God, I don't feel that way about you, but I want to. It's like the guy that says, you know, do you believe? I do believe. Help my unbelief. Like, are you hungry? I'm not hungry, but I want to be. God, would you make us hungry where we're not hungry? Okay, so let's pick up back the story again. Verse 45 says, after he feeds everybody, he says, immediately after that, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. He just needs to be with his father. He's had a rough day. He's had a busy day. Maybe a really good glorious day. But he was like, okay, I got to be with the father. So he's like, disciples, go, get in the boat. People, go, but go back home. I love you. Full bellies, off you go. He's sending everybody away. And at that moment, I think he's like, I've got to go be with the father. I got to go up this mountain. I got to go be with the father. I wonder at that moment, did he know what was going to happen next? Does he know where he's, he sent his ride home across the lake. Get in the boat, go. And do you, I wonder if he's going, hmm, does he know that that night he's going to walk on the water in the fourth watch, watch of the night? Does he know that night that Peter's going to step out of the boat and want to be with him? Does he know that? Maybe. He's God. Or is his journey a whole lot more like my journey, where the father said, send them away? And he said, what? He said, send them away. He goes, they're my ride. And he goes, send them away. Maybe. I mean, I walk with God day by day, moment by moment, stone to stone. Show me where to step next. Maybe Jesus walked that way. I don't know. So in this moment, I don't know what he knows, but he sends them away. And he goes and is with the Father. And I wonder if in his obedience and desire to be with the Father, and maybe God's saying, send your ride away and don't ask questions. Don't ask him to come back for you later. Just send him. Come be with me. And then in the midst, like, does he know he's going to walk on the water that night? I kind of don't think so. I think later he was standing at the end like, well, now what, Father? Like, spent some time with you and my ride's over there. And then he's like, take a step. Come on. Like, and I wonder, what happened did he, when he stepped? Did he know? Did Jesus know how to walk by faith and not by sight in a way that we actually could learn from? Or do we always think he always had it figured out? He always knew. Or did he know how to connect with the Father and figure out what in the world was going to happen next? And the Father would tell him, and then he would be so faithful to do what he said to do. Because this is the key to Jesus. The key to Jesus was his connection with the Father. That is how he did it. That is what makes it work. That is what makes Jesus Jesus, is that, he's, that him and the Father are so connected that he was able to stay in that. Let's move over to John 14. Okay, this John 14, 15, 16, 17 business, this is what Jesus says in the middle of the Last Supper. So he's like washing disciples' feet. He's talking to people about what's about to happen. He tells Peter he's about to deny him. And then he starts teaching them. 
about all sorts of things. I would love to pick this up in 1411. This is like Jesus's last words to his disciples. He says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He has said this a bunch along the way, almost got stoned for it multiple times, right? Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's saying, we are one. The Father and I are actually one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's a connection there. Verse 30 he says, I love the Father. The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He's like, are you picking up on this? That yes, I would go and I would listen to him and I'm one with him and we're so connected. And then I would do what he told me to do. I love him and so I obeyed him. But listen to this whole verse. He says, I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I love that he says, the prince of the world is coming, but he has no hold on me. Do you think that the prince of the world has no hold on Jesus because of his connection to the Father? He's like, he can't hang on to me because I am so connected to the Father. Maybe something to that. And then the way that he's not only connected, but he obeys him. If you read this chunk, it is all about, if you love me, obey me, follow me. We connect and then we move, which is what Jesus did over and over. Jesus walked by faith and in the power of the spirit in a way that he's like, this is how it is done. So now he says to them, he jumps into the vine and the branches, right? And he starts saying that I am the vine and you are the branches. So he says, the way that I was connected to the father that's the way I want you to be connected to me. Okay, see what I've been doing? Now I want you to do it. So he talks about the vine and the branches. Verse four, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. A man remains in me and I in him. He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's like, you see how I have lived. Do that. You must remain in me. We know what happens if you take a vine and you chop it off, right? What, it dies. It must remain in the vine. So he said, you watched me do it with the Father. Do it. Stay connected to me. Remain in me. This is how you bear fruit. I think it's interesting that he says, in verse 2, he says, I am the vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Which just, you know, whether you are bearing fruit or not, either way you get cut, right? Either you get cut off, which later we find out you get burned, or he prunes you so that you'll be even more fruitful. Sometimes I don't think we think that that's what it means to follow Jesus, but it does right? He disciplines us. He teaches us and he prunes us. I prune my succulents because I love them and I want them to be even more fruitful. I am like my father in that way. Okay. Um, I'm going to go backwards for just a second. Into 1420, he says this, 
on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He's painting this picture for them. His last words to them, don't you see? He's like, the way that you see me and the Father connected, you are a part of that dance. He's like, this is us. Welcome to the dance of the Trinity. He, the G, we've been watching Jesus do it, and he's saying, come and be a part of that. This is what we are called to. This is what we are meant to do. Welcome. Okay, so I, want, I, I, have, I had a thought that I want to share with you. Is, you know when you're on a plane, and you realize your cell phone's about to die? Well, when we used to be on a plane... I haven't been on one for so long, but I have this distant memory of when your phone's about to die and you don't have your cord, you know, or maybe you got delayed and you thought, oh, for sure, and now here we are. Now you're like looking at other people to see if anybody else has their cord or one of those little blocks of energy that we could like plug our phone into and you got to text someone when you land and you're like, ah, and there's that stress, right? We don't like it when our phones die, do we? Like every, my guess if you are a remotely responsible human, you plug in your phone every night. Every night. Because when you don't, it turns into a big pain in the butt the next day, right? And then you're like, oh, no, I don't have my phone when I need it. Why? Because you can have the brand new iPhone 13 and it's so great. And if you don't plug it into the source of its life, it is no good to you. It is worth nothing. It can bear no fruit. And I wonder, do we treat our cell phones better than we treat our souls? I am not kidding. I plug this stupid thing in every day because my life might be ruined tomorrow if I don't. What if I don't have this? What if it runs out of juice? I connect this to its source of life and energy religiously and without fail. Do I treat my soul like that? Or do I just think my soul will just run off of energy from, you know, last week, last Sunday? I don't really. I go, the truth is, people, we cannot live without the source of life. My soul is meant to be plugged into my God. And if it is not, I do not have what I need for the next breath. Then I am Stupid if I think that I can do what he has called me to do without plugging into him. I don't care who, who you are, how talented you are, how great you are. You need to be connected to your father. This does not work apart from him. Okay? What if we cared for our souls the way we cared for our phones? I mean, the world actually might change. I like really what happens if we were like I cannot take one more step until I take care of plugging my soul into my father if we became a people who were marked by the presence of God that way what would happen small side note you guys know this week how Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp went down right um, I read in Forbes magazine do you know how much money they lost in one hour, they lost $13 million. For every hour, it was down. So do the math. It was a ton of money. I can't even understand $13 million. That doesn't make sense to me. So it's actually, it was, it's about $160,000 a minute, which is just it's crazy. That is crazy. And it makes me think, it makes me go like, oh, big tech, 
What a nightmare, right? Ugh. I have to go, no. What does it say about us that we pay those people 160000 a minute to have what we need to have? That this has become so important that we have to be connected to everybody in this. And that was only like a kind of a small part of the internet. It's not like the whole internet went down, just that little part. What is true of our society that that is how we live and that that is what gets our money and our attention and our affection? We as a society are not connecting to our source of life as the most important thing. We need to, we as the people of God need to respond differently and not just go like, oh yeah, this is how it goes. This is what's the most important thing in my life. It's just not true. My God is the most important thing in my life. And if I am not caring for that and plugging into that, I cannot be who the Lord has called me to be as his child. I can't do it. It will not work. You guys know in, it's, um, it's Matthew 7 where Jesus goes, build your house on the rock. Don't build it on the sand. Because if you build it on the sand, the storms will come and the house will fall down. Build your house on the rock. Is that true are we a people who go, I'm going to build my house on the rock. I'm not going to build it on the things that shift. I'm going to connect with my God. This is the DNA of our church. This is the DNA of the kingdom of God. This is your primary call as a child of God is to be with him. And he's like, come on, I bid you come to me. Come and be with me and let me fill you. What would happen in the kingdom of God, what would happen in our church if we were people who were marked by the presence of God? That what was most true of us was, oh, those people have been with God. That's what God said of the disciples. They were like, they are unschooled, ordinary men, but they've been with Jesus. Would that be true of us? What would happen in our world if we actually lived that way? Brendan Manning said this. He said that, we have, that he had been seized by the power of the great affection. Ooh, I like that. He's been seized by the power of the great affection. Do you feel that way? That you, like, you've been seized by a power of the great affection? I think that's what happened to the people running around the lake. That they were like, I have been seized by the power of the great affection. I have to run. I have to be with him. I can't not be with him. Are we a people who hunger after God that way? That we've been seized by something. This crazy love of the Father has seized me in such a way that I can't get away. I can't stop. I can't, I'm absolutely addicted to him. That is the call that is on your life as a child of God. And what would happen if we lived that way? What would, be, what would happen if we pressed ourselves into the presence of God in such a way that this is what is true of us? Because is it true that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be? Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Is he your treasure? Is he your biggest treasure? If that is true, that is where your heart will abide. That is where what will all of your life will flow out of that place. If it's not, we got to get some stuff out and get him in. 
So do you want to want him? Do you want him? Do you want to want him? He bids you come. He's like, come and be with me. Let me know you. And would you know me? Could we connect with God the way that Jesus showed us how to connect with God? And if you go, I have no idea how to do that. Will you ask somebody? Come on the women's retreat. We're going to talk about that. Go find someone in this church. Say, would you, would you teach me how to connect? Will you teach me how you connect? What's interesting is we all do it in different ways. We're all different kinds of people. But do you know that God is really good at meeting you in the way that you need to be met by him because he made you. He knows, how, he knows what you need from him. So don't be afraid and come to him. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So Jesus, will you teach us? Will you thank you for how you pursue us, how you love us. Thank you for how you showed us how to connect. And Lord, I just pray for us. As the people of God in this town, in this place, that we'd be a people who hunger and thirst after you and find that you are good and that you are near. Holy Spirit, Spirit, draw us into your presence. We want to know you. And Lord, you are the only way. You are the only source of life. And Lord, we are desperate for you in a world that is full of all these other things that are biting for our attention. God, help us to shake it off and to seek you, to seek your face. And may we find you to be the treasure that you are. I pray that you would magnetically attract us to you, that we would know, God, how amazing and addictive and beautiful you actually are. Remove the scales from our eyes so that we could see. And we pray that you'd soften our hearts so we could understand the power and the preciousness of your presence. Holy Spirit, meet us here in this room this morning. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, friends. Um, in the aftermath of my sermon that week, I also recorded two Devo snippets, we'll say, that were just kind of what bubbled up in my heart after I preached that sermon. And so I wanted to share those with you here as well. They, um, so they're sort of disconnected from each other and, um, I just introduced myself a lot. So, you know, I bet you'll figure it out. All right. Thanks. Bye. Hello there. This is Michelle. Hey, so this weekend I preached a sermon about connection to God and how God reaches for us and says, come. And he bids us to come and be with him and to connect with him. And um, since then, I've ran into these two verses that felt significant to share. So what is this? Matthew 23, 37 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. 
Look, your house is left to you desolate. Um, just that line really hit me that you were not willing. He says, like, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, I long to gather you, but you are not willing. Oh. I mean, do you think, do you think that God would ever say that to us? To this generation, like, I long to gather you to me, but you were not willing. And then it says that line, look, your house is left to you desolate. It reminds me of that uh, when I flew by uh, Matthew 7 and, you know, don't build your house on the sandy land. Build your house on the rock. And what happens when we don't? Your house is left to you desolate. Like the storms will come. And this house has fallen apart. And he says, I longed to give you something else, but you were not willing. Oh, do you think that Jesus would say that about us? Um, you know, would he say that about me in particular or you in particular? And would he say that about us? Would he say that about our generation? Um, also, this is Isaiah thirty fifteen. And it says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Ugh. I mean, man, I'm going to read that again. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength but you would have none of it. Oh, is it just, I mean, I'm like, God offers us such beautiful, powerful things. He says, but you would have none of it. I mean, would he say that to us? Is he saying that to us? That we just won't have it. We won't stand for it. We won't relax into it. We won't take a full drink of it. But what does he offer? He bids us come. He says, let me gather you under my wings. Let me hold you. And then in this, he says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. I think that's the call. That is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. What if we were known as a people of repentance and rest and quietness and trust? that there is salvation in that, that there is strength in that. Um, I think that that is what comes out of a intimate, close relationship with God is our salvation and our strength come through repentance and rest and quietness and trust. There's something that happens when we lean into the Lord that way and it changes everything. Maybe we could memorize that this week. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Because I don't want to be someone that is said of, I don't want it to be said of me. She just wouldn't have it. Michelle just wouldn't have it. I offered it. I beckoned her and she wouldn't have it because she was stubborn and she was arrogant and she wouldn't come. I don't want to be that kind of person. And I want to repent of all the places that I am. And I want to run to the Lord in repentance and rest is my salvation, and quietness and trust is my strength. And I want to let him gather me up under his wings, that I would find refuge, yes, but where I would find a relationship, where I would find him. So that is my prayer this week. Amen.
Hello, friends. This is Michelle. I have a couple little mini parables I would like to read to you today. They are out of Matthew 13, and they start in verse 44. And this is what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I mean, what is that like? That something would be worth selling everything. Like it says that in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and bought that field. And he says it twice. The second parable says that too, that the merchant looking for pearls, that he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That there's something about the kingdom of heaven that is worth selling it all for. Being all in and going, this thing is so precious and so powerful. And literally what I've been looking for my whole life, it is worth it all. And I'll sell it all. And I'm all in. And it says that in his joy, he went and sold all he had. That this wasn't begrudging. That this wasn't like, oh gosh, I guess I'll sell it all and buy that field. No, he's like, I can't wait I can't wait to buy this field so that I can have this treasure hidden inside. And is that how we see God? Do we see him like that treasure, like that pearl of great price that is worth it all? That Do I sell everything that I might have Christ? Is our connection to God that precious and that important that we would say it is worth it all? And if we don't feel that way, do we want to want to feel that way? And what would happen to us as a people in the kingdom of God if we were that sold out? To be like, everything I've got, everything I am is invested in pursuit and love of you. What would happen? So, um, Holy Spirit, will you move in our hearts to know truly what is the treasure that you are and how the kingdom of heaven is like this. And God, would you show us what it looks like to live in that kind of pursuit of our King? Open our eyes, God, and help us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a wrap, folks, on all the thoughts about connecting with God, at least all the thoughts for today. Um, Thanks for listening, and see you here next time on something that's, you know, maybe helpful, but it's not your manna.